listening to the Lutheran Ladies Lounge podcast. I'm Sarah. I'm Erin. I'm Bree. And I'm Rachel. It is Epiphany today. At least when this podcast drops, it will be Epiphany. Hmm. Happy Epiphany. Happy Epiphany. That means we're doing an Epiphany hymn sing, which is very exciting. Oh. (laughs) There are a lot of Epiphany hymns, a lot more than I realized i i asked my husband i was like how many epiphany hymns are in a hymnal like six seven maybe there's like 15 so i think i forget that all of the hymns about jesus miracles and baptism and all of that stuff are all in that epiphany section rightly so because the epiphany season is january 6th the epiphany of our lord all the way till transfiguration and this is all of the, you know, the appearing of our Lord and the revealing of his nature as God, right? So all of this stuff about his miracles and all of those things are in this section. In some sense, Epiphany is like one of the longest seasons of the church here. It's not that many weeks, but we're going all the way from Jesus, the baby with the wise men up through, you know, Jesus' baptism and then all the miracles and, and until he's like set his face toward Jerusalem, it's Epiphany. Yeah. Like so it's, it's a huge of chunk life. of his life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, so there's a lot of Bible stuff, Bible stuff packed into this yeah. section of the hymnal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Epiphany was also one of the, if I know this church history properly, and I could be wrong, so if I'm wrong about this, please correct me. But Epiphany is one of the three like original major feasts of the church year. So they would have had Easter, Christmas, and Epiphany as like the three main church festivals. I believe you uh, are. And, you may be correct in that. Don't quote me either, sure but yeah, I'm pretty sure it, it is a very, very old feast. It is a very mm-hmm. old feast. Um, and I know in the Eastern Orthodox tradition, Epiphany is actually the Theophany. So they celebrate the baptism of Jesus on Christmas. And then the Theophany is, I'm sorry, I have that wrong. They celebrate the wise men on Christmas with the Christmas festival. And then Theophany is the baptism of our Lord. So we celebrate the baptism of our Lord. What does the word Theophany mean? So that is the appearing of God. So Epiphany is appearing. Theophany is appearing of God. Yes, it is more specific. So they do the baptism of Jesus on Epiphany. We do the baptism of our Lord the Sunday after Epiphany. So it's just a little bit of a shift Hmm. in how we view the theology of all of that stuff. Uh, But it's also a big festival for um, Orthodox and more ancient uh, faith traditions as well. So there's all of that. Uh, A lot of cool stuff about Epiphany. Have we done an Epiphany trivia challenge yet? I can't remember. I can't either. I feel like we did. Googling quickly. I feel like we did. I know we've done... Hang on, I'll get Sorry. back to you. I just like threw that to you. But I I think there's more that we've done on the podcast about Epiphany, but also you can just like ask your pastor about stuff. It's a very, it's a very cool thing. And also I just love the story of the three wise men coming to visit Jesus, like these guys from these ancient far lands, and they are they're coming to find a baby mm-hmm. via a star. Like it just it's so cool. I love the story. Anyway, we're gonna talk about the hymns today. As usual, if you don't have your Lutheran service book companion to your hymnal, I know Christmas has passed. So maybe you have a birthday coming up. I don't know. You can always ask for it or buy it yourself or buy it for your church so everyone else can also see all these hymns. You're going to want it for this hymn thing because I really only go in depth for like three or four of them because there's so many. And then we'll get some little tidbits on a whole bunch of them because there's always an interesting tidbit about every... tidbits. Yes, pineapple. I love pineapple. I love pineapple tidbits with like the marshmallows. You ever, did they ever make that for you at school? No. Oh. 
delicious. I like pineapple tidbits and cottage cheese. That's mm. really good. Mm-hmm. Mm. To circle back, good. there is no <laughs> Epiphany Trivia Challenge on the books yet. So maybe for next year, we'll have to do that because I feel like there's some good stuff there. Yes. yes. Okay. We'll have to do that next year then. So, Melchior. Yeah, Melchizar. What's the third one? I don't remember. Gaspar. That'll be right. (laughs) So stow those away for a rainy day, friends. You've just been given a freebie. (laughs) Yes. Okay. Another tangent because I have to. We actually made it to the Boar's Head Festival before Christmas 2022. So the three wise men parade, at least at Emmanuel St. Charles, the three wise men parade around the church to this like really stately kingly music, like Eastern kingly music. It's super cool. Uh But they, we were sitting on the end of a pew and they walked by us and just like stopped waiting to walk down the middle aisle. And they had frankincense incense going. Mm -hmm. And like, that was such an immersive experience. Like these guys dressed up as these Eastern Kings and like smelling the incense and the bells. going. They're like like jingly. They have like bells on. Yes. Mm -hmm. I'm getting chills. It was just really cool. Okay. Anyway, sorry. Hymns. (laughs) Hymns. <laughs> okay. We're here for hymns. So we have, I'm going to give you the rundown of the list first, and then I'll tell you the poll results because there were really only like three hymns that people actually voted for in this, for this poll. Hmm. Um, so we have from 394, Lutheran Service Book 394 through 412, Songs of Thankfulness and Praise, 394, 395, O Morning Star, How Fair and Bright, obviously a favorite. 396, Arise and Shine in Splendor, which is one of my favorites. 397, As with Gladness Men of Old, that's an old favorite. 398, Hail to the Lord's Anointed. 399, The Star Proclaims the King is Here. 400, Brightest and Best of the Stars of the Morning. I love that one too. (laughs) 401, From God the Father, Virgin Born. 402, The Only Son from Heaven, that has shown up before on the podcast. 403, O Savior of Our Fallen Race. 404, Jesus once was sinners numbered. This is where we start to get into baptism and miracles section of the Epiphany hymns. 405, to Jordan's river came our Lord. 406 and 407, they're just two different tunes. To Jordan came the Christ our Lord. 408, come joining Cana's feast. 409, hail, O source of every blessing. 410, within the Father's house. I find it interesting that Cana comes before the going into the temple, but Whatever. Uh, 411, I want to walk as a child of the light. And 412, the people that in darkness sat. So those are all of the epiphany hymns we have in Lutheran service book. And according to the poll in the Facebook group, this isn't really one of those polls where everyone was like, I love all of them. And like Mm -hmm. every single one had a bazillion check marks. Mm -hmm. Most of them had zero, actually. Oh, snap. (laughs) It's very interesting. (laughs) I know. Um, That's really fun. But a lot of these are associated with a single Sunday in the church year. And Mm. so if you don't don't get to sing it a lot, we don't sing them a lot. And they may may or may not even be the hymn. They're they're assigned as hymns of the day for those Sundays. But if you don't sing them on that Sunday, like you you may never sing a lot of these. Mm -hmm. So that's fair. And I mean, a lot of these aren't like super popular ones that everyone's like, oh, that's my favorite hymn. Generally not one that shows up in the epiphany section of the hymnal, which is That's fine. There's a lot of good hymns in our hymnal. So the top three that actually had votes are Lutheran Service Book 397, As With God as Men of Old, 400, Brightest and Best of the Stars of the Morning, and 395, O Morning Star, How Fair and Bright, which I would have talked about anyway, because that's Philip Nikolai. And that is where we're going to start. So Lutheran Service Book 395, 
Oh, Morningstar, how fair and bright is Philip Nikolai. And if you haven't heard of him, he is a great figure in Reformation era Lutheranism. So Oh, Morningstar is actually called the Queen of Corrals. And maybe you've heard this term, maybe not. So it's paired with Philip Nikolai's King of Corrals, which is Wake, Await for Night is Flying. So they're kind of like cousin I mean they're called the king and queen so they're related but they're these just massive (laughs) they're roommates (laughs) they're husband and wife (laughs) the king and queen (laughs) (laughs) or like brother and sister like Narnia king and queen oh yeah I like I like that imagery anyway so there's they're just these two very powerful massive hymns that we have that have just been I mean they're just hugely musical events Mm -hmm. very cool stuff powerhouses of seasonal hymns so Philip Nikolai was actually part of the Lutheran Reformation and I'm not sure that I really realized that I knew he was like this big musician but I don't know. He's part of the Lutheran Reformation. So he was born in Mengeringhausen in Waldeck, Hessen, which is like central northern Germany, on August 10th, 1556. He was the third of eight children born to a pastor, Dietrich Nikolai Raffenbühl, who became Lutheran as an adult, along with part of his congregation. So Philip, you'll notice, does not have the last name Raffenbühl because he dropped it from his name. He preferred Mark. <laughs> He preferred his father's Christian name, Nicholas. So he has Nikolai as his last name instead of Raffenbühl, which is kind of fun. I don't know. I like it. He was a really smart kid. Uh, He showed uh, a lot of interest in theology, music, classical Latin poetry at a really young age. And he was sent away to school during the plague in 1567. And then with the generosity of the court of Valdeck, he was able to have a university education in Erfurt in 1575. His, sadly, his brother Jonah and his mother died shortly after he started university. So he didn't stay there very long, but he went back to university at the University of Wittenberg and got a degree in theology in 1579. So he entered into pastoral ministry offices. He first served as an assistant to his father at Mengeringhausen in 1579 for four years. And then he was ordained in 1583 and served at Herdeck in Westphalia where his father had served and had introduced evangelical theology and was met with a really harsh resistance from the town council that was very strongly Roman Catholic. So there was, I mean, this is still in the time of a lot of religious turmoil all across Europe, all of these things that were happening. So the church was Lutheran, but the town wasn't. So it, it wasn't a, a super great situation. But Philip had to resign in 1586, not because of that, but because of the Spanish invasion of Herdeck. I didn't even know there was a Spanish invasion in Germany in, hmm. at this time. So oh, yeah. yeah. That happened. The uh, head of the Holy Roman Empire was Spanish. And he really, really, I'm learning about this with my third grader right now. He really, really, really wanted to reclaim Lutheran parts of the world for the church and Spain also. That makes sense. People yeah. liked to like get land back and everything. Still do. <laughs> Still do. Still do. <laughs> Honestly. So Philip went on to minister in secret to a group of Lutherans in Cologne who were worshiping in their homes. In 1588, he was head pastor in Altving- Alt- Altwildungen and served the Countess of Waldeck, Marguerite von Gleichen, as court preacher, and she tutored her son, Wilhelm Ernst, who shows up later. He eventually had a pastorate in Una in Westphalia, but the plague hit them really hard in 1597, killing about 14,000 parishioners. 
These numbers mm. just blow my mind. He had over yes. 300 funerals in July uh-huh. and there were like 170 deaths during one week in uh-huh. August. Yeah. Just insane numbers of people that were dying from the plague at this point. But then in December, he had to flee again because of the Spanish invasions and he didn't get back to Una for nearly four months. So then fast forwarding to August of 1601, Philip became head pastor of St. Catherine's Church in Hamburg. And in 1606, he married the widow of his pastoral colleague, Peter Dornberger, and ended up caring for their son and daughter like as his own kids, which is really cool. He died from a fever on October 26, 1608. And we have a commemoration day for him in the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. October 26, we commemorate Philip Nikolai, along with two other hymn writers, Johann Hirman and Paul Gerhardt. So they all shared a day in our on our commemoration calendar, which is very cool and very well respected. Well earned. Well earned? I don't know what I'm trying to say. Moving on. Well deserved. Yes, well deserved. Oh my yeah, goodness. Thank you. There. So we need to remember we'll October 26 because it is a major hymn nerd holiday. And yes, uh, we should do something with that at some point. That's a few future. episodes we've got to put on the schedule now. Yeah. yeah. I'm going to forget everyone. all of these. It's almost uh-huh. Christmas time where and when we are down. right now. But boy, wouldn't it be fun? It would be fun. I'll record them. So as you might expect, because of when and where he lived, Philip was involved in the theological controversies going on during the late 1500s, specifically what to do with the sacrament of the altar. This was a big thing with the crypto-Calvinism that was going on at this point. We've covered that before with... Elizabeth Krusiger's story because it's her husband and her son like get all wrapped up in this crypto Calvinism stuff. But I almost said Melanchthon. He's also a character in this. But Philip Nikolai was on the classic Lutheran side of this argument opposing the crypto Calvinists. And this was, among other controversies, this was what led to the formula of Concord in 1577. So while Philip was pastor at Altwildgen, He was advocating for his fellow clergy to adopt the formula of Concord. So he was definitely very pro like classical Lutheran. He also wrote a lot, not surprising for somebody of this time. During the plague in Una, he wrote a devotional work, Freuden Spiegel des Ewigen Lebens in 1599. And that contained both the king and queen of chorales, wie schon leuchtet der Morgenstern, Oh, morning star. And wacket auf, ruft uns die Stimme. Wie schon leuchtet, oh, morning star, was written as an acrostic poem in commemoration of his former student, Wilhelm Ernst, who had died, sadly, the previous year at age 14. So he obviously had a very strong connection with his former student. And I probably say this on almost every hymn sing episode, but it is such a testament of faith that so many of these historic Lutheran hymns that we love were written during just like ridiculously hard times for Mm. the people that were writing the hymns. They were facing so many things and yet writing these words of faithfulness and hope and salvation in Jesus. It's just really amazing. So this hymn, O Morning Star, is the hymn of the day for the Epiphany of Our Lord. So you're probably familiar with it. You've probably sung it. But it's important to note that the morning star that we sing about in that isn't actually like the star star that led the wise men to Jesus, but it's actually talking about Christ himself. Mm. So really, I would petition to sing this year round because Mm. why not? Mm -hmm. I think it would be great. So I don't remember somewhere along the line, Somebody, I don't know, that was doing hymn studies 
mentioned to like look at punctuation in hymns because we don't normally do that. And that kind of gives you a feel for the hymn. And in this one in particular, there are so many exclamation points. So stanza five, every single line ends in an exclamation point. So you're like yelling this hymn Hmm. and it's awesome. And the text is copyright, so I can't say it on the air, but (laughs) grab a hymnal on Sunday and look at it and notice all the punctuation and how absolutely joyful and happy this hymn is. It's just, it gets me every time. I just think it's, I think it's very cool to notice those little details. I would second guess it and count the exclamation marks before submitting it because I would be self-conscious about using too many exclamation marks. That's true. Were the exclamation marks, did Philip put those in himself or were those added? (laughs) An overeager translator. I don't know. Okay. That is a good question. Okay. Okay, so I would hope that he put them in. You're right. I mean, it's a lot of, like, it is a lot of exclamation marks. It is a lot of exclamation marks. I mean, throughout the whole hymn, honestly, this probably got more than any other hymn. It might. I would say there are uh, several in the in the German. I'm looking at the original German because as soon as you said the word acrostic, Sarah, I'm sorry, one of my ears was still with you and the other was like, acrostic, what's the word that forms the acrostic in the German? And I'm looking at the German text going, W V D D M H L S R. I'm I'm sorry. I don't see a German word in there. So a little bit more. It's it's Wilhelm Ernst Graf und Herr zu Waldeck. So he yes. used the initials of this guy. Yes. And what a tribute! Yes. You guys can write a hymn to yeah. me. Uh, no, to the Lord. Hymn to the Lord with my uh-huh. initials or name as an acrostic device anytime you like, and I would be super honored forever. Yes. That's awesome. Yeah. So there's, I don't know, there's just a really cool backstory to that one. I feel like it's also, I think it's somewhat rare that we've got, the author is also the composer. Mm -hmm. That's not, that doesn't happen a lot where the author is the composer. And that it's, that maybe that's part of why it's such a good fit for the music. I think you might be onto something there that there is, when you've got artistic ownership of the entire work, there's going to be a synthesis between the yep. words and the music it's like oh. which came first i don't know right you know they are organically woven together in a different way that's cool mm-hmm. yeah it's great him yeah all right the next one on the poll we're just going backwards order in the poll so lsb 400 brightest and best of the stars of the morning this was written by reginald heber a bear i we've talked about him before and i still haven't figured out the exact correct pronunciation mm-hmm. so we're just going to go with heber in a very american english way we talked about him before in the holy week hymns podcast way back in march because he also wrote LSB 441, Ride On, Ride On in Majesty. So if you oh. want to hear more of his story, go back to the Holy Week hymns episode and listen to that part because I give a little bit more fleshed out version of his story. But the important point for him here, he was an Anglican pastor and he wrote hymns for every Sunday of the church year and major festival of the church year, basing them on the lesson and the gospel for the day from the Book of Common Prayer. So this hymn first appeared in the Anglican periodical, The Christian Observer, in 1811 under the heading, quote, Epiphany, very appropriately, since that's what it was written for. Mm -hmm. And his original first line was, brightest and best of the sons of the morning, which is how it is in TLH, the Lutheran hymnal, but it was changed to stars in LW and LBW, and that's how we have it in LSB. So then the number one hymn for the poll 
LSB 397, as with gladness, men of old. This is a classic. I think I've probably Mm. sung this for ages. There's really not a super interesting backstory for this one, though. It was written, again, by an English person, but not an Anglican pastor. It was an English layman, Hmm. William Chatterton Dix, in 1858 or 1859. He was the son of an English surgeon, and he was very well educated at Briston. Briston? I may have meant Bristol. Mm, Rachel's probably looking it up for me right now. (laughs) Grammar school. (laughs) And was a marine insurance agent by trade. That is a uh, (laughs) employment that we have not run across before. Yeah, a marine insurance agent. Very interesting. Bristol is correct. Bristol. Bristol. Okay, I just typed it wrong. Bristol's by the sea, isn't it? Yeah. 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 Also correct. (laughs) That's fair. (laughs) (laughs) So he wrote this hymn when he was 20 or 21 years old and recovering from a fairly serious illness. And so on the day of Epiphany, he read the gospel from Matthew 2, 1 through 12 about the visit of the Magi. And then he sat down and wrote the hymn in one day. So he was Hmm. very inspired by this reading of the visit of the Magi. It first appeared in Hymns of Love and Joy in Bristol in 1859. And then in, get ready for this title. I only put it in here because it's so long. Hymns, period, parentheses, printed for temporary use and as a specimen of the hymn book now in the course of preparation. Close parentheses. Oh, man. Like super short title, super long subtitle. That seems super trendy these days. <laughs> in fairness, that was the pre-publication edition of Hymns Ancient and Modern. So that uh-huh. is what it eventually became. I just am always amused that titles at this time uh-huh. were so long. <laughs> so long. So that was published in London in 1859. And then Hymns Ancient and Modern in 1861, of course, where everything mm-hmm. else is also published. And the text changes that we have in LSB were specifically about the manger actually being a bed since the Magi visited after Jesus was a baby. So pretty much the same text with just a few sort of theological things. That is a total Lutheran um actually moment right there. Um actually it was a bed at this point. He didn't sleep in the manger for his entire childhood. I presume, (laughs) maybe. I don't know. Joseph was a carpenter. He could have been similar, but it was not a manger. (laughs) Joseph could have turned that manger into a permanent bed. I don't know. Hmm. I'm going to say good edit on that one, though. So did it used to be, as with joyful steps they sped, Savior to thy manger bed? Um. Oh, I don't have my hymnal companion. It wasn't manger bed. It was something else. But I'd have but to look that, at my hymnal companion. The one that, the, yeah, but that's, that's the bed reference. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. I'd have to look. Okay. It's in, my, it's in my big book, which is mm-hmm. at my desk. So I have two favorite epiphany hymns. LSB 402, The Only Sun from Heaven, and 396, Arise and Shine in Splendor. Now, 402, The Only Sun from Heaven, that was written by Elizabeth Kruziger, and we did a whole podcast just on Elizabeth Kruziger. So I highly recommend you go back and just listen to that podcast because I talk at length, ad nauseum, about this hymn. It's so good. I love it. It might be my, my top, top favorite. But the other one I will talk about here. 396, Arise and Shine in Splendor. I think this is a very underappreciated hymn. I don't think a lot of people sing it that much. I don't know. I love it. I love the tune. I love the text. It's just, it's a classic for me. So this is another 30 Years War hymn, which we talk about 30 Years War hymns a lot. And I'm starting to notice a pattern of when my favorite hymns were written. Most of them are 30 Years War hymns. Mm. (laughs) That's fun. What's your favorite era of (laughs) hymn writing? War. It's the 30 Year War. It's the 30-year war. (laughs) Yeah. 
So this hymn, Brich auf und Ferde Lichte, was published in Martin Opitz's collection of versified epistles for Sundays and Holy Days, set to French tunes. The tune we have is not French, though. I'm sad about that, but that's okay. But they were originally set to French tunes published in Leipzig in 1628. So this one is meant for Three Kings Day, quote, and is based on Isaiah 60, which was designated for Epiphany for 17th century Lutherans and was supposed to be sung to the tune of Psalm 6 in the French Psalter. If anyone has a French Psalter, that's what it was. We now sing it to Innsbruck, which is the same tune as LSB 453, Upon the Cross Extended. And if you want to know about that tune, that is also, I believe, in the Holy Week hymn episode. There's a fun little story about how that actually was like this folk tune about some very secular thing. It's funny, but that's the tune we have now. I love that tune also. The first English translation was by Emmanuel Kronenvet. It appeared in the Ohio Synod's Evangelical Lutheran Hymnal in 1880 as Zion Awake and Brighton. Very different title than what we have. Gerhard Gieschen, whose adjusted translation we have in the Lutheran Service book, published five of the six stanzas in Faith Life magazine in 1938. And then that appeared in TLH and that's how it got into our hymnals. So Martin Opitz is a bit of an interesting character. I didn't know anything about him, but I'm going to tell you his story because it got a bit of a twist to it. So he was known as the father of German poetry. He was highly active during the Thirty Years' War and really successful in reforming German language and poetry. Hmm. Yeah. So he was born on December 23rd, 1597 to Sebastian Opitz, who was a butcher in Bunslau, Silesia, which is now Bolesławiec, Poland. He studied literature and philosophy at the University of Heidelberg from 1619 to 1620. And then he was a professor of philosophy and poetry at the Weissenberg Gymnasium, Gymnasium in Transylvania from 1622 to 1623. And then he worked in the court of Duke Rudolf of Legnitz from 1623 to 1625. And there he was really working on the epistle readings according to their meter in the French Psalter. So these were published in Leipzig in 1628. Emperor Ferdinand II crowned him as Poet Laureate in 1625 and then knighted him in 1627. For some reason, I never... have We've talked about some Poet Laureates before from this time period. I never thought that Poet Laureates went back this far into history. Like, my brain only thinks that that's a modern thing, but it's totally not. Mm. So very cool. So he was very skilled at all of this poetry stuff. So here's a really interesting part. He wrote during the Thirty Years' War, and the other guys that we've heard of during this time were pretty staunchly Lutheran. But Martin Opitz really avoided religious controversy, which is interesting. From 1626, he served as the private secretary to the Roman Catholic Count Karl Hannibal von Dona. He was personally Protestant, Martin was, but he didn't really publicly protest against Dona's military aggression against the Silesian Protestants. And he even translated an anti-Protestant tract about forced conversions when Dona asked him to. So he was separating his personal beliefs and his public. And I, I really wonder what his motivations were behind that. But obviously, I, I don't have that written down here, at least. So he was really good with people and public relations. So he served on a couple diplomatic missions during the war. And he got to meet a lot of interesting people doing these diplomatic missions. 
And it was during this time that his ideas of religious tolerance were really strengthened and his philosophical epic, Trostgeidige in Weiderfertigkeit des Krieges, published in Leipzig in 1633. And that's all about this devastation of war and calling for repentance and tolerance and cultivation of personal faith. So he had a lot of really strong ideas about being a person in the middle of war and what that actually meant for you personally and, and in society. I don't know. I feel like he had a lot going on in his head about mm. all of this philosophical stuff. I think there's there's just a lot more to his story probably. In 1637, he was appointed historiographer for King Władysław IV of Poland and served in Danzig, which is now Gdansk, Poland, until he died. And he died from the plague on August 20th, 1639, after giving alms to a diseased beggar. So... Martin Opitz is best known for his poetic style, really not so much for the content of his poetry. And this is important because he worked for a very long time, pretty much his life's work, to reform the German language into a very elegant and artistic one, which I stopped and thought about. And like, we always make fun of the German language for being very guttural and rough. And like, there's memes on social media about how beautiful the Romance languages are. And then butterfly mm -hmm. is whatever the... I don't remember what the word for Perfect Nugan. Yes. <laughs> just made that up. It's not a real word. I don't even Schmetterling. Schmetterling. Yeah, like there's, there's, we it's make all these jokes. Word. <laughs> we make all these jokes about German, like not being this beautiful language. But Martin Opitz really did a lot to make it the, an elegant and artistic language. Hmm. So I'm curious to know what it sounded like before he got his hands on it. But that's another story. <laughs> his Buch von Verdeutschen Poetry published in 1624, defined poetic rules of style, verse, rhythm, and purity of language. And this was all influenced by Romance languages, so French, Italian, other Renaissance models. But he kept a lot of the rhythm from the irregular versification of older German poetry. So he was able to kind of marry those two things hmm. of the style of Renaissance models, but also keep German versification. It's just, it's really cool what he was able to do. In 1629, he became a member of the premier German literary society, the Fruit Bearing Society. Very interesting name. And his peers started using his models for poetry. And that made his life's work this great success that people were actually using his work. So that's really cool for him. He wrote 248 hymns and poems, which are published in Geistliche Poemata, published in Breslau in 1638. And that is Martin Opitz. So really cool story, I think. So I, I, I wanted to tell you about a lot of all of the rest of them. And I'm going to do that, but just in very small snippets, because I, I'm i always like, nah, these aren't going to have that great of a story. But then I start reading through the Hymnal Companion and all of them have just like a little, a little tidbit of something that I'm like, huh, that's kind of interesting. So I'm just going to run through the rest of them because, <laughs> because they're fun. So this is this isn't an actual factual note on uh, the first one. It's just an amusing note. But 394, Songs of Thankfulness and Praise. This showed up on the poll. And also personally, I always think that this is a Thanksgiving hymn for two reasons. One, it has thankful in the mm -hmm. title. Mm -hmm. And two, the tune is the same tune as 892, Come You Thankful People Come. So it's super confusing. And I always think that it's not Epiphany, but it is definitely Epiphany because it talks about Jesus' epiphany. So there's that one. <laughs> I have a soft spot in my heart for this one simply because 
I have a wonderful piano arrangement that goes with Come Ye Thankful People Come that I can then use twice a year thanks to this hymn. Hey, mm-hmm. there you go. Yeah. Very good. I have a question, though, before we move on. Yeah. What does the word manifest actually mean? It appears. It is. He takes on the flesh, it's right? like fully realized. Yeah. Like so it's-, it's not promise anymore. <laughs> it's reality. Not hypothetical. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I also, just wish they used a word that she doesn't sound convinced, I guys. I think you're She's right. Okay. Um, the the internet says the meaning is clear eye. or obvious to the eye or mind. Like, there's no denying it. Clear or obvious at all. <laughs> not but. clear or obvious at all. I, I agree. It's not a great definition. <laughs> and I mean, it just, it's it's used like God in 17 times in this. Well, it rhymes oh. with a lot of other words. Any word that rhymes well, it's going to get used if it's at it all applicable. Itself. They don't <laughs> rhyme it with anything else. It rhymes only with itself. No, but rest and best and They don't use zest. those. They just keep repeating yes. manifest. Yeah, because it's okay, the, that's the, fair. It's a 7777 7, 7, <laughs> D. Yes. yes. <laughs> Sorry. Okay, moving on. I I also enjoy Rats. the song because <laughs> it's a it's a fun puppy song and that's great. I just often get hung up on that. So I'm like, what does that word actually mean? We don't use that in our like that's not a word of crest language. Uh, okay. Fair point. Okay. All right. Carry on. Carry on. All right. Depressed. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> Three ninety-eight. Hail to the Lord's anointed. This was written by James Montgomery for a Moravian congregation. I don't think a Moravian congregation has showed up yet in the hymn sing episode in Yorkshire huh. for Christmas in eighteen twenty-one, and then Yorkshire in 18- Yorkshire puddings. <laughs> And I love Yorkshire pudding. He set it on context of Christian missions, sending it to a missionary in the South Seas and then placed it within a biblical context about the reign of Christ on earth, which I mean, makes sense with the hymn. The original hymn has eight stanzas. We have four of them in LSB. And I think the most interesting one that the original eight stanzas has that we don't is this. Arabia's desert ranger to him shall bow the knee, the Ethiopian stranger his glory come to see. With offerings of devotion, ships from the isles shall meet to pour the wealth of ocean in tribute at his feet. So he was like very gung-ho on the nations coming to Christ. Mm. It's just interesting. Mm. This is also the hymn of the day for Epiphany 5 in series B and C of the three-year lectionary. So if your church uses three-year and you do the hymns of the day, you will sing this one every three years. (laughs) That's the hymn of the day. For Epiphany 5. So then LSB 399, the star proclaims the king is here, is a counterpart to the Christmas hymn 385 from east to west, from shore to shore. And they come from this famous alphabetical poem from 5th century poet Sedulius. Sedulius? That literally traces... There's no D in that. Oh, wait, wait. That is his first name. Never mind. Uh There is. Carry on. It literally traces the (laughs) life of Christ from A to Z. So this hymn uses the letters H through N in the original Latin, but good old John Mason Neal text that our LSB is based off of only uses the lines H, I, L, and N. So we don't get the entire Why? John Mason Neal mm. gave us. John so. Mason Neal, I love your work, but why would you cut letters out of the alphabet? You monster. I right? I know. 
LSP 401 from God the Father Virgin Born is an anonymous Latin office hymn from the Feast of Epiphany that's in several 11th century manuscripts. So this is also a very old one. It's also an alphabetical hymn. There was something about writing Latin alphabetical hymns in the early church. Each line is a successive letter of the Latin alphabet. John Mason Neal also, he translated a lot of Latin stuff. So this is why. He also translated this hymn and published it in 1875. And this is the hymn of the day for Epiphany 3 in the one-year series. So if you're a one-year congregation, you probably sing this one every year on Epiphany 3. LSB 403, O Savior of Our Fallen Race, is another anonymous hymn, another old anonymous hymn, likely dating between the 6th and the 9th centuries. I love that these hymns are so old. It's just cool. It was traditionally assigned to Christmas Vespers in the Anglo-Saxon tradition, but this is a funny factoid in the Hymnal Companion. Because there are already so many unfamiliar Christmas hymns in LSB that, quote, are unlikely to be sung, the hymnal editors assigned it to Epiphany. But to be fair, textually, it is appropriate to use this text when speaking about the epiphany of Christ, that Jesus is true God who manifested his glory for the life of the world. So it does actually make sense in epiphany. It's just funny that they moved it because they thought that people wouldn't sing it for Christmas. Mm. Hmm. 404, LSB 404, is a classic Stephen Starkey hymn for the baptism of our Lord, which for us Lutherans is the first Sunday after the epiphany of our Lord. That is Jesus once with sinners numbered. That's a good one. I like I like a good old Stephen Starkey hymn. 405, to Jordan's river came our Lord. This one came about because the Wisconsin Evangelical Lutheran Synod didn't participate in the LBW and LW hymnals. And that's where Martin Luther's hymn for the baptism of our Lord was reintroduced to English speaking Lutherans. And I'll get to that one in a second. So the Wells people asked James P. Tiefel to write a hymn for that day. So now we have hmm. To Jordan's River Came Our Lord. And if you if you compare the text of that one with Martin Luther's, they are very similar style of text, but it is also, I mean, it's a hymn for Jesus' baptism. So you're going to get a lot of the same stuff. So then 406, 407, this is Martin Luther's catechetical hymn for the baptism of our Lord. But English-speaking Lutherans didn't really know it until it was included in LBW in 1978 and LW in 1982. So it was a long time before people were actually singing this. And it's translated by Elizabeth Quitmeyer. And that was first used, this is a fun story. So that was first used on the Lutheran Hour radio program. Hmm. So Carl Schalk, of all people, mm -hmm. he was the music director for the Lutheran Hour from 1958 to 1965, which I didn't know. And he asked Elizabeth Quitmeyer if he could use her translations. And then he asked Richard Weinhorst to write choral settings. And mm. these were what were broadcast on the Lutheran Hour from 1962 to 1963. And then Schalk submitted all of her translations to the LBW Hymnal Committee. But this is the only translation of hers that actually made it. So that is an interesting thing. And you'll notice this one has two different tunes. 406 and 407. So 406 uses a, an old tune from Johann Walter's choir hymnal of 1524. Personally, I really like that one. 407 is a much newer tune by David Lee. David Lee. I have English Lee. I missed some <laughs> words in there. <laughs> by David Lee from 2002 for the Lutheran Service Book. So that mm -hmm. one is a much newer tune, probably a little bit. Is it easier to sing? What do you think? Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Maybe, maybe not. You'll have to tell me which one yeah. you like better. This is the hymn of the day for baptism of our Lord. So you will likely, if you do baptism of our Lord and you do hymns of the day, you're going to probably sing this one. So Lutheran Service Book 408, 
Come Joining Canaan's Feast is also newer, written by Herman Stumpfly, published in 1993, and it's all about Jesus' first miracle. Plain and simple. Hmm. 409, Halo Source of Every Blessing, written by Basil Wood, which is spelled W-O-O-D-D. Word hmm. word doc does not like that word. It's kind of funny. Published in the Psalm of David and other portions of the sacred scriptures arranged according to the order of the Church of England for every Sunday in the church year. That's the name of the book. Hmm. In uh, around 1806. And I really just wanted you to know that book title. But this hymn came out of the evangelical movement in the Church of England. And Wood himself was trying to bring about this transition from psalmody to hymnody. We've talked before about a lot of the reformed movements, Calvinists, really were only singing psalmody. They weren't really singing any hymns. It was a whole thing. So he was trying to move this evangelical movement in the Church of England to more hymnody. And this hymn is one of those examples. It's a paraphrase of Psalms 96 and 72, but it mashes it up with the story of the Magi, which is mm. kind of brilliant. So it's a good hymn too. I like that one. LSB 410, Within the Father's House, was written by Anglican clergyman James Russell Woodford and published in 1863. And obviously it's about Jesus in the temple. And therefore it is the hymn of the day for Christmas two in the three-year lectionary and Epiphany one in the one-year lectionary. So you will likely sing this one on Christmas two or Epiphany one. LSB 411, I Want to Walk as a Child of the Light. I'm actually surprised this one didn't get more votes. I feel like a lot of people sing this one. This mm -hmm. was written in 1966. So this is a much newer hymn by Kathleen Tomerson in Houston. And it first found fame in the Episcopal Church there. And it's been translated into Welsh, Japanese, Spanish, Dutch, and Hmong. So there's a lot of people around the world that sing this hymn. It's Hymn of the Day for Proper 25 Series A, which is sometime during the summer. So it does show up outside of the Epiphany season. And I didn't actually look up what the readings were for that, but I'm assuming it has something to do with walking with Jesus or something. Lutheran Service Book 412. We're, <laughs> we're at the end. The People That in Darkness Sat was written by John Morrison as a seven stanza paraphrase of Isaiah 9 and published in 1781 in a draft edition of the Scottish Translations and Paraphrases as The Race That Long in Darkness Pined. And it's been revised many, many times over the years because of some of the expressions used in the text. The text we have in LSB is pretty close to what was published in, of course, Hymns Ancient and Modern in 1861. The stanza in TLH, so this is in TLH, about the Lord's victory over Midian does not appear in LSB. So a couple of the original stanzas, Morrison's original stanzas are not in LSB as they determined that the imagery isn't super appropriate for singing as a family, including the phrases slaughtered squadrons and shrieks of woe. So we do not get to sing that in LSB, but if you really want to sing it, you can go to the TLH version and there's some I feel like depending on how old your family is, some of them might actually like it better because of that. <laughs> Just that is a fair point. Hmm. So that is all of the hymns for Epiphany in the Lutheran Service book. And now I am curious of your three opinions on if you have a favorite Epiphany hymn. And if it has changed, if you had a favorite one and now it's different. LSB 400, Till I Die. Yes. I just think it it's very um, beautiful and the words are very poetic. Which one is that and again? Brightest and best oh. of the sons of the morning. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> I grew up singing it that way. Yeah. I think I did too. I personally like the 395 
it wasn't always my favorite one, but I had heard the backstory a few years ago about Philip Nikolai. And ever since then, I've liked it much more knowing that like when you read the, the words of it and you have in mind this pastor who's like buried 300 people mm-hmm. in one month that he's writing with this joy of the promise of the coming of Christ. It just, yeah, it made it have deeper significance. And so I like, that's my, my current favorite of the epiphany ones. It's not original, but I love it. It's because it's, it's a good queen. hymn. It's the queen of chorales. It is the queen of chorales. queen. <laughs> okay. Well, I will take the third. I really love as with gladness men of old. LSB 397. I realize it has a boring backstory. (laughs) And honestly, the text itself is not that unforgettable for me, but the combination of the text and the lyrics, and it also is is pegged to a very specific memory for me. Uh, When my husband and I got married at the end of December 20 years ago, this was a hymn that we had sung as the candles were lit during our wedding ceremony, which seemed really appropriate to have, you know, the the light processing down into the church and up onto the altar mm-hmm. while this hymn is being sung. And so that every time I sing it, I'm transported back into that moment in the darkness of December, you know, mm-hmm. seeing the light walk in and then getting married and having a wonderful time. So I love that one, but I will tell you, and I asked you, Sarah, can I include this in the poll? And you said, sure. And mm-hmm. then nobody voted for it. And I don't know I why. Know. Maybe they thought I was joking when I suggested We Three Kings as my favorite oh, epiphany hymn. Yes. Like, not even, like, less than 5%, 2% of our poll responses. And I was 1% of that. So one other person voted for We Three Kings. <laughs> and I realized that a lot of it's not in our hymnal. It's not, uh-huh. you know, particularly associated as a churchy hymn. And half the time we sing it, we're talking about rubber cigars. <laughs> But if you actually loaded and exploded, (laughs) and the first verse is kind of meh, but as you get into the verses, they just are so gorgeous, and they are public domain, so I can read them. You've got each of the each of the three kings bringing his gift. Born a king on Bethlehem's plain, gold I bring to crown him again, king forever, ceasing never, over us all to reign. Frankincense to offer have I, incense owns a deity nigh. Prayer and praising, voices raising, worshiping God on high. And then this next verse is like a sucker punch to the gut. Myrrh is mine, its bitter perfume breathes a life of gathering gloom, sorrowing, sighing, bleeding, dying, sealed in the stone-cold tomb. Then finally, glorious now, behold him arise, king and God and sacrifice. Alleluia, alleluia, sounds through the earth and skies. That is just Gorgeous Mm. theology, gorgeous poetry, and it's really, I don't think I understood the full theological significance of the gifts that the wise men brought at Epiphany and the the way that they confessed who Jesus was through them Mm -hmm. until I had fully digested this particular hymn. So that is my absolute actual favorite Epiphany hymn, and no one's going to sing it probably on Epiphany. But if you do, you will, I think, find your heart enriched. You just can't stop at verse one, though. It's either all six verses or no, all five verses. Pardon Mm -hmm. me. All five verses or none. If you want the theology. Yeah. I think when we did our Christmas pageants in grade school, I'm pretty sure that's what we sang when the wise men were processing in. Because I have that 
like when I start singing it, that is the memory in my head of like our little Christy Cotton co- costumes and like dark church and stuff. I don't know. I do love that song. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's a good one. Yeah. I will revise the poll. I didn't actually look at it before we started recording. So my bad. But so I said that I was surprised that people didn't vote for 411. I want to walk as a child of the mm-hmm. light. They did. They did. They voted for it in between when I wrote this uh, three days ago. <laughs> okay. And right now. So hold on, let me let me see the numbers on this. So as with Gladness, Men of Old is still number one. Brightest and best of the stars of the morning is number two. So those didn't change. But I want to walk as a child of the light is number three. And then, oh, morning star, how fair and bright. Very interesting. There's a twist. Mm, There is a twist. Wow. Wow. M. Night Shyamalan, eat your heart out. Breaking news. Yep. So there you have it. Ladies, I would love to know your favorite Epiphany hymns. The poll is still there. We'll link it in the show notes if you want to go back and comment on it or anything or share with us what your favorite hymn is and why. All of your childhood pageant memories, whatever you want to share with us, we'd love to hear it. Join us in our Facebook group, the Lutheran Ladies Lounge. You can also tag us on Instagram and follow us there at Lutheran Ladies Lounge. You can get all of our episodes at kfuo.org slash Lutheran Ladies Lounge on your favorite podcasting app or on the KFUO radio app. And you can sign up for our monthly e-newsletter in the show notes for this episode, or you can just send an email to lutheranladies at kfuo.org and we'll get you signed up for that as well. Happy Epiphany. Happy Epiphany. You're listening to the Lutheran Ladies Lounge podcast. I'm Sarah. I'm Erin. I'm Bree. And I'm Rachel. Views and opinions expressed on the Lutheran Ladies Lounge podcast may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO Radio, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. The Lutheran Ladies Lounge is produced by KFUO Radio and available at kfuo.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Don't forget to hit that subscribe button and leave a review for us, too. If you love the Lutheran Ladies Lounge podcast, consider financially supporting our producer, KFUO Radio, so we can keep doing what we do. Find out how at kfuo.org slash give.